Welcome, everyone, to the Nomad on Fire podcast, the show all about the digital nomad lifestyle coupled with financial independence. We'll also be exploring tips and tricks on other lifestyle optimization strategies. I'm your host, Eric. Thanks for being here. Let's jump right in. All right, Cody Berman, welcome to the Nomad on Fire podcast. Thank you for having me, man. This is going to be a fun episode. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I'm super excited. I I first heard you on the Choose Five podcast back in 2018, and I remember just thinking like, damn, this guy's only 22 years old. Like he has his life together way more than I did at 22. And then since then, you know, I've followed you. I've listened to your podcast, uh, the Fi show, followed your blog, uh, fly to Fi, And then also was in, you know, uh, a course that, that used to have uh, gold city ventures, the, the blogging course. Uh, I think you've shifted into, uh, into the print printables, uh, realm, currently. But yeah, this should be a, a lot of fun and some great content for the listeners. So yeah, man, if you don't mind, if you kind of just kick us off with uh, what your background and, and what your story is. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll take us back to where it starts to get interesting. So, you know, growing up, learning a little money lessons from my parents, save more than or save as much as you can. I was going to say, you know, save is try to get a gap between your earnings and your spending. But there wasn't much of an earnings when I was uh, young, young. Um, but once things started to get really interesting was when my mom handed me the four hour work week. And that's when I was 19 years old. I was a sophomore in college. She's like, I'd already been kind of interested in entrepreneurship, side hustle type stuff. I just didn't have a name for it. I didn't really know what my passion was. I liked finding cool ways to make money, I guess, was how my mom figured I was aligned with that. Gives me the four hour work week. She's like, read this, see if it changes your ideology on money, business, anything at all. And it blew my mind. I quickly realized what Tim Ferriss called muses and what most people in our communities call side hustles. Um, you could build up these side hustles with these businesses where your time and your money didn't have to be linearly related anymore. You wouldn't have to work 20 hours a week and you know make $10 an hour to get $200. You could spend a lot of time up front and sure, you might not get the payouts right away, but these things, these systems, these businesses, whatever these assets that you're creating, they're going to pay you in perpetuity. And so I was just hooked on that idea. And I was like, I got to start some businesses. I got to get these side hustles, this passive income thing. And that's when the kind of the, the race started for me. Awesome. Yeah, man. I love that you mentioned the, uh, the four hour work week. I, I, that gets talked about a lot in like the digital nomad community is kind of like a jumping off point for people or they kind of realize that. I read that book way back in like 2008. Like I think it had just, I was in college at the time. I think it had recently just came out and I remember kind of same thing. It just like totally changed my vision of the world. I didn't really <laughs> implement any of those changes until many years later, but I think it kind of stuck with me like under the surface. Um, cool. So then, yeah, can you kind of, so I think back in like, so back in, uh, in 2018, right? Like you had just graduated from college, you worked for about a year and then kind of dove like full send into the, the side hustle game. Is, is that, uh, is that how it went down? A little bit. Yeah. I'll backtrack a little bit. I just didn't want to go through my entire life journey and <laughs> stop don't like without, without breathing once and just keep talking for 15 minutes because I have been on the receiving end of that on my podcast. But uh, yeah, so the first thing I did was I tried to identify some business opportunities like any person who wants to start a side hustle would. 
The first two I actually thought of was a tutoring company because I had done tutoring in high school. I had thought about doing some tutoring in college. I was like, I'm going to hire a bunch of tutors. I'm going to start this business. I'm going to have a margin and I'm going to pay them a certain amount. And I'm, it's going to be passive income. I'm not going to do anything besides set up the meetings. I just never really honestly had the ambition or skills or resources to start that. It was just a little bit too early and an idea that I wasn't too excited about. Next one was a specialty clothing company. I was going to try to start my own clothing brand. And I don't know, maybe that would have taken off. I really don't know. But I, <laughs> the farthest I got, I was talking to manufacturers on Alibaba, which is like a basically a Chinese manufacturing database where you're, you have access to hundreds or maybe hundreds of thousands of manufacturers. Um, and I started getting in conversations with them. And I was like, no, the minimum order was like 10,000 of whatever item you're getting. And it was just like, this is ridiculous. I can't do this. The third business was the one I actually went with. And I still have that business to this day. And that was Arsenal Discs. It was a disc golf company for those of you, Eric, do you know what disc golf is? Yeah, I've played a few times. Yeah. Okay. You, okay, cool. You played disc golf. For those who don't know what disc golf is, because oftentimes people don't when I'm asked this question, um, it's basically like ball golf, except instead of hitting a ball into a hole with a club, you're throwing a plastic disc into chains. It's the same thing though. There's putters, there's mid-ranges, there's drivers, there's birdies, there's bogeys. It's literally the same concept, just different instruments. Um, so I ended up, you know, launching that disc golf company, making, oh my God, so many mistakes along the way, like an unbelievable amount of mistakes. But I learned so much from that business, man, like marketing, building websites, networking, uh, product strategy, pricing, like how to actually have a profitable company instead of losing money when you're selling to pro shops. <laughs> there, there were just so many lessons kind of embedded in that disc golf company. And that was in, oh geez, 2016. I think I founded that. I was 19 years old. Um, and I know you had asked about like jumping off. So that was kind of my first foray into side hustles. But I mean, I wasn't making a ton of money. It was maybe like a couple hundred bucks a month. It wasn't retire money. I still had to go and get a big boy job. So I was grinding, getting internships during college. Um, like you had mentioned, I did I had an internship junior year going into senior year. They gave me a really generous offer. So I'm like, screw it. I'm going to take it. Even though I'm already kind of in this FI mindset and this FI space, I see people retiring it in their late 20s and their early 30s. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to take this banking thing and I'll go and chase the entrepreneurship once the money starts to come in a little bit more. Um, during that time, right when I graduated in January of 2018, shortly after I started my blog and my podcast because I went to, and we can talk about this for a little bit too. I know we're all about nomad stuff. I lived in Australia for six months. So I graduated early, lived in Australia for six months. I was honestly bored. My girlfriend had classes a couple of days a week and I was like, what am I going to do? And I was like, might as well start some more side hustles. <laughs> so start the blog, start the podcast. Again, I'm just learning a lot of lessons mostly. Like I didn't really know what I was doing at the start. I, I was trying to like make money with affiliate income through the blog, but I didn't have an audience at my max, I was making a couple hundred bucks a month through affiliate stuff, but that never really became a thing. It became kind of a launch pad for networking, meeting people, other opportunities that just, it, it blew up. It was crazy. Um, so that's kind of when I had the confidence, Eric, to go and quit that corporate banking job and a little less than a year, like you mentioned, it was seven months and quit it in January of 2019. Haven't looked back. Awesome, man. I, I, yeah, I, I love it. What was the, uh, I guess, can you kind of take us back to like how you were feeling at that time? What was like the, the impetus for, for leaving that job? Was it just like the freedom and the creativity of, of being able to work on stuff for yourself? And I think I, I heard you in another podcast, like you had a super long commute and maybe it just wasn't the best, like kind of work-life balance. What was like the, your thought process at that time? 
Oh yeah. The work-life balance was horrible. Like <laughs> I woke up at five every day and I have a two hour commute each way to the office. Sometimes I'd have to stay late at the office and they did offer overtime though, which was nice. So I got, I got paid for my misery, <laughs> but <laughs> I was just not having fun. Like I would struggle in, I'm a big gym guy. Like I was going to the gym at nine o'clock at night. It sucked. And then I'd you know go home, eat something, go to bed immediately, wake up at five. And it was just like, this is the most vicious cycle ever. And I mean, not to mention, I'm trying to do all these other side hustle things at the same time. I still have the disc golf company. I still have the blog. I still have the podcast. Like I'm editing podcasts, writing blog posts, working on the disc website on the train ride into Boston. It, it was horrible. Um, but I was being frugal as hell. Like I was super frugal. My monthly expenses were like 1000 to 1200 a month. My housing was negligible. Transportation was paid off car, cheapest insurance possible, like everything, food as cheap as I could possibly eat. And yeah, I mean, I really didn't have too many extraneous expenditures. So my spending was a a huge reason why I kind of had the confidence to leave. Cause you know, if I was spending 5,000 a month at that point, building up 5,000 a a month in side hustle income while you're working a full-time job, man, that's tough. Building up side hustles to make 1200 a month and and have the confidence to leave your full-time job, not as tough. So my side hustles were at that time bringing about 12 to maybe 1500 on a good month. In. And I was like, you know what? I might be like living paycheck to paycheck right when I quit, but I'm just going to go for the leap. And so that was kind of my, that was kind of what I was thinking as I was going into it, but something awesome happened. And I know we we're just talking about this through the personal finance sphere. Like an awesome reason, if you don't have a brand, if you're someone who hasn't ventured out, even, you know, even if it doesn't make sense for you to create a personal brand on Instagram, whatever, but I connected with a bunch of people. And one of those people that I connected with was Grant Sabatier at FinCon of 2018. And the literally the only reason I would have ever talked to this guy or gone to this conference was if I started a blog and started a podcast. We hit it off. He's like, hey, dude, you want to help me on my book tour? I'm like, sure. Like, yeah, whatever. I'll, I'll help you on your book tour. Like, this is going to be awesome. Like, he was a guy who retired at 30, a millionaire, SEO strategist. I was like, I can learn so much from Grant. He actually rejected me the first few times I asked to help him. Just a quick side note. But finally we connect and he's like, yeah, like, just, I just want you to help me book events around the country. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, give me the cities, give me the type of venues you want. I ended up sending over like 700 emails for this guy. And I was just honestly doing it. I wasn't paid. I was just doing it. And I was like, I'm just going to help him out. Cause I know I, if you give before you get, you're going to get way more than you give. And I, that, that kind of sounds like a, a nice t-shirt or a quote or something like that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> ultimately toward, I don't know, like the middle of this booking process of getting all these events, he's like, hey, dude, you want to come on the book tour with me? And I was like, are you serious? Like, I honestly thought he was joking or just messing with me. And, you know, I'd, we were going to have, we set up a Zoom call. I thought there would be a bunch of people laughing at me when I joined or something. And he's like, no, like you want to, you know, go on this book tour with me. It's going to be three months long. We're going to go to 30 something states over a hundred events. And I'm like, I'm sold. So that was kind of end of 2018 when we got connected and I was doing all that stuff for him. And then the book tour started in March and I'm like, screw it. I'm going to quit end of January. Honestly, it was one of the most terrifying emails I've ever sent. I sent an email to my boss. I'm like, Hey, can we go chat in the meeting room for a couple of minutes? I told him exactly what was going on. And He's like, well, I don't think I can, I don't think any raise can convince you otherwise. And I'm like, you're right. Like I'm <laughs> gone. <laughs> and yeah, went on a three month book tour with this guy. We lived in a pop-up camper together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. That you're, uh, 
man, your like daily like work schedule though, that seems like a rough introduction to co- to corporate America. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh. It was horrible. <laughs> Sweet. Okay. So at this point, like, yeah, definitely. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure obviously nervous, right? Like not even a year into kind of corporate America, right? You're, you're, quitting your, your corporate job, but having the confidence, right. That you're, you're basically at least meeting, if not exceeding a little bit, your monthly expenditures already with, with the side hustles. So then after the book tour, like how did, how did things accelerate? Did that really kind of ramp up your, um, income from like the blog and the podcast, just from the visibility of it or kind of what was the the next step after that? Yeah, well, that definitely helps. Visibility definitely helps. And just getting, I mean, even getting links from like millennialmoney.com at that point was getting more visibility to my stuff. But just like putting my name out there, meeting new people, I mean, it is insane what growing a vast and tight network can do for your net worth and just for your future opportunities. So like once I started, you know, traveling the country with Grant, like I was speaking at these events with him. He was kind of like the end of the five spectrum. I was like, hey, I'm this guy who just quit my corporate job, but I have all these side hustles. So like I'm in this five thing too. So it was kind of cool talking to audiences from both ends of the spectrum. And, you know, it gave me better um, personal or, or I guess, yeah, interpersonal skills, better public speaking skills, awesome connections. Um, the next steps though, honestly, I kind of just followed the find people in the space that I admire and offer to work with them or work with them for free or just work with them any capacity. The next person who checked those boxes was Julie, who you know, Eric, um, from she was from Fire Drill Podcast. That's how I knew her in the financial independent space. She also had her blog, Millennial Boss. And I'm like, hey, let's do something together. I literally said that. I didn't know what it was going to be. I was just like, you seem like a type A go-getter. You're killing it with your blog. You're killing it with your podcast. Like I'm I'm coming up right behind you. And I think we could do some really cool stuff together. So it honestly wasn't until many months later. I think I probably hit her up similar time as Grant, like end of 2018, maybe early 2019. It wasn't until like mid 2019 that we're like, okay, let's build some courses. Like we're doing cool stuff. People are always asking us how we're doing it. Like friends or just people on podcasts. And we're like, let's build some courses from stuff that we know how to do. So I was like, all right, well, I've done a lot of freelancing. And I guess I didn't really get into this, but I was like, writing for blogs. I was doing SEO work. I was building websites. I was writing white papers. I was editing stuff. I was editing podcasts. I was editing video. I was literally trying every single side hustle under the sun. Um, so I had a lot of experience just freelancing on like Upwork and Fiverr and just through the FinCon community and through other networks. Um, so that was one I was like, okay, I'll, I'll build a freelancing course. Like I I've got this, I've, I've made a, a decent amount of money freelancing. I was able to quit my job. And then Julie's like, all right, well, I, I'm going to create this Etsy printables course. I recently got into this thing called Etsy printables. Basically, you create these printables or digital downloads. Someone Etsy shop. She's like, I made six grand last year and I spent legit 50 hours in my shop. And I'm like, well, that sounds like a pretty cool side hustle. Like that's $120 an hour and seems like a fun little creative outlet. And then the last one we decided was actually you were part of that, Eric, was the blogging course. We both had experience blogging. I mean, I had learned an insane amount of stuff about blogging from Grant. Julie had been in the blogging game for seven years. We were both making, you know, thousands of dollars from blogging at that point. And so we're like, all right, let's launch these three courses. Now this is where, you know, entrepreneurship is entrepreneurship. The freelance course fell flat in its face. I spent hundreds of hours building it. We literally had like 20 or 25 people sign up, but just, I don't know if it was too broad, if we didn't have the right marketing angle, but it was a miserable failure. Like the time I spent versus how much money we got from it, it was like 
five cents an hour. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the runner up was actually the blogging course. So we had the blogging course for probably eight or nine months, I believe, before we kind of just tabled it because one, it just wasn't even close to as popular as the third course that I'll talk about in a little bit more depth, the Etsy course. But there's just an insurmountable amount of updates when it comes to blogging. You always have to be on top of the plugins. You have to know like the latest developments. Like there's just, there's so much that goes into blogging. Like, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to have a, a more niche course in that arena, I guess. Like if you had an SEO course or if you had uh, Elementor, like how to build this or how to do that blogging course, just having a general blogging course, man, that's a lot of maintenance. And we were spending dozens of hours making sure our content was current. So ultimately we shut those two down and now we uh, we just run the Etsy printables course where we teach people how to create digital downloads and printables. And I actually dove in, which is super fun because like when I actually, you know, went full force into the side hustle, a couple of months later, I had my first almost a thousand dollar week during Valentine's week, which was just nuts to like just a little, little proof of concept there. Um, but yeah, that was kind of like the next foray. That was the next big step in like, okay. Now I'm starting to like get more side hustles under my belt. I'm starting to hone what I'm doing right, letting go of the things I'm doing wrong. And honestly, that was like, that was really tough, dude. Like just dropping a course that you spent well over a hundred hours developing, hundreds of hours managing, like it, it sucks. It stings. But at some point, if you are doing some kind of side hustle or building sub business and it's just not working, you either have to pivot or just let it go. So yeah, that was kind of the next big development in my financial independence journey. For sure. Yeah. It sounds like just evaluating the, the ROI of it, right? If you're putting in, cause that like, I have to say, like, I, I love that course. Like y'all's course was, was awesome. And it kind of, um, it was like a perfect time in my life. Cause at that point in time, I was like really kind of planning and strategizing. Like I wanted to leave my job. I was, you know, going to start traveling, living the digital nomad lifestyle. And I was, I had thought about it for a while, like uh, close to a year. And I was like, Oh, what am I going to do? And at first I was like, I'm going to learn, I'm going to learn how to code so I can like work remotely and I'm going to code. <laughs> and I, I took a few coding courses and I enjoyed it and stuff. But then I was just kind of like, I don't know if that's what I'm like truly passionate about. Like I have a, you know, have a good nest egg. I can, I can take the leap. Like what, what truly would I really want to spend my time doing? And I was like, I'd love to talk to people about financial independence and, and, you know, traveling around the world. So that's why I kind of pivoted and decided to start Nomad on Fire. And it was just kind of the perfect timing. Cause I saw through one of y'all's newsletters that you had this course coming out and I was like, Oh, this is, this is awesome. Like it's, you know, I'm going to learn all the skills about blogging, but it's going to kind of have that like financial independence, like angle piece to it. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed like the course. I thought it was a great um, kind of kickstart to to starting the blog and having like the Facebook group and, you know, having kind of the weekly presentations and stuff. It was it was super helpful. Um, so the the Etsy, though, that was that was like way more popular than than the blogging, though. Is that why was it just like less time to kind of keep up with that one and just a lot more like, I guess, a lot more interest in in that course? Yeah. So let me give you, just give you a pie chart representation. So people can't see me, but think of a pie chart or yeah, a pie graph. 80% at least was Etsy. Wow. 19.3% was blogging. 
the point seven percent left over was that freelance course when we first launched. So like it just did. It's I mean that's literally the eighty twenty rule. Like yeah, it's, yeah. it was eighty percent. Blogging was twenty. We were spending more time managing the blogging and making sure we we're up to date with you know all of the systems that go into running the blog. And I'm sure you can appreciate that. And well, thank you for all the stuff you're saying about the course as well. I'm glad that we could play any type of a hand in the empire you're building now. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, it just it just didn't make sense. It was just you know, stretching your bandwidth so thin just so you could eke out 20% more. And it sounds horrible like that, eke out 20% more when it's like actual people you're helping. But it's just like, we we felt like we couldn't do a good enough job at both. So we had to pick one. And it was an obvious winner when one has 80% of the people that are interested in it. So that's ultimately why we decided to let it go. And it was honestly probably one of the best decisions we did for our business. For sure. Yeah, that yeah, that completely makes sense. I guess at this stage in your journey, so I think that would have been was that early 2020? That was that, mid 2019. Okay. But when you when you just focused on the Etsy, that was like was that early 2020? Is that right? Yeah, I think that was like February, maybe March of 2020, but yeah, that was early 2020 when we when we just decided to laser focus on the Etsy course. Cool. At I guess at that stage, so that's kind of, you know, either right before, or right when, you know, kind of COVID and stuff started. I guess at that point in like in in your journey, what was kind of like your breakdown in terms of like the different businesses that you run in terms of um like percentage of of your income coming in? So at that point when COVID hit, that shut down the disc golf industry completely because mm-hmm. most of the plastics come over from China. And so like our factory was shut down, all of the biggest manufacturers factories were shut down. That side hustle was effectively dead for many, many months, which is it's since revitalized a bit, but that was just completely dead. Um, podcast, I had been spending a lot more time on. I kind of tabled the blog, honestly, just because I was focusing on other stuff. And like, well, we'll I'm sure we'll talk about the Financial Freedom Summit for a bit too, which is a whole nother ordeal that I got involved with that got ruined by COVID. <laughs> um yeah. So, and yeah, so I had the podcast going, the blog was still going, the blog still goes to this day, but I don't add any more content, but it still brings in money every month, which I can't complain about. Um, then yeah, the Etsy course, that was probably my biggest revenue at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and I guess, I mean, this would have been a revenue maker in some respects. So the financial freedom summit was going to be this a thousand plus person event that we had planned for St. Louis in May of 2020. And so I had co-founded it with Grant, the guy I went on the book tour with and PT, who was the founder of FinCon. Um, and we were super excited. And then COVID hits mid-March and we're like, oh, there's no way it's going to last till May. No way. And well, <laughs> depending on when you're listening, you know, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> so th- that, that got rescheduled to late September, 2020, then canceled again. And then it got, we were going to reschedule to early 2021 canceled again, just because there's still tons of travel restrictions when we're, uh, when we're talking now in March, 2021. So yeah, that was, that was another thing that was eating up, not eating up, but that was, uh, I was allocating a lot of time toward uh, the financial freedom summit because man, managing a conference of that caliber planning, getting all the systems set up in the background, that is a huge undertaking that I didn't foresee. Um, but yeah, that was kind of everything that was going on in the beginning of 2020. But I know we kind of chatted before this and definitely had some developments and definitely took advantage of quarantine and not having kids in the house, kind of having just unlimited free time. I couldn't travel. A bunch of my travel plans got canceled. So 
went hardcore to the grind, got into some real estate, got, even got another side gig, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was going to say, man, like you, I feel like you have done and like succeeded in so many different types of, of side hustles. It's, it's like so cool to follow your journey. Cause I feel like you try something new and like have success with it and then share like those best practices. Right. So it's, it's cool to, to follow along. Well, I don't want you to say that uh, <laughs> you're like, you try something new. There's definitely things I try at and I'm, I'm horrible and I just give it up because I, but I think the most important part is that I'm trying, like mm-hmm. I might, I might try five things and four of them fail. And then one of them is a success story. And then I can tell that on podcasts, but like, I'm trying a bunch of stuff in the background all the time that doesn't work. So I just want to make sure that anyone listening, like, don't think I'm some crazy anomaly rock star who just succeeds in every business he starts. I fail all the time too. In terms of kind of shifting away from the blog and focusing a little bit more on the podcast, can you kind of talk about that a little bit more? Because I also made a similar switch, not in terms of like, you know, it was making more money, but just in terms of personal enjoyment. Like I felt like blogging for me, like I, I like writing. I think I'm a halfway decent writer, but I feel like I would spend just hours sitting there at the keyboard typing away and then I would post something and then like, you know, it would get zero traffic and no one would see it where the podcast I enjoy so much more because I feel like it's still valuable, really valuable content for the listeners. But then I personally enjoy it way more because I get to have, you know, fun conversations and and learn from interesting people like yourself. Um, Yeah. Can you kind of talk about that? Like transition? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess there's two ways to answer this. So there's the money side and then there's just the personal fulfillment. Like I don't like doing this anymore side. Uh, so I'll answer the personal fulfillment side first. So I just honestly didn't like writing anymore. Like I enjoyed talking so much more and I still do. I like talking so much more than I like writing. And I was spending hours, like you mentioned, hours writing multiple blog posts a week, like struggling to compete with other people. Um, and I can just talk freely to all these cool people, make all these awesome connections. And I mean, of course, you're going to make cool connections blogging, but you're not having an intimate hour, like an hour long conversation with someone. It's just not even close to the same. And like, that's what I thrive on. As my story has kind of told, I thrive on networking and finding like-minded people, finding people where I can fill one of their skill gaps. Like maybe they have the notoriety and the clout and the resources and like early in my journey, like I was talking about, but I have the hunger, I have the grind, I have the energy, like I, I can do this. Um, so yeah, that, that was kind of the reason in terms of personal fulfillment. Like I just didn't really like blogging as much as like podcasting in terms of money though. So blogging, I think, especially in the financial independent space for like a buy blog, which is Flytify, you have to be, or it makes more sense. It's easier to make money and put less effort into a blog that is more niche. And I'll explain quickly. So if you're just trying to rank for everything financial independence and like you want to be the financial independence blog, you are competing with some heavy hitters out there. You're competing with the Mr. Money mustaches, like Grant on Millennial Money, websites like that, who's domain authority. And basically that just means like their rank on the internet is just so much higher than yours. You have no chance of competing for, you know, how to do a Roth IRA conversion. You have no chance for competing on this or that, that it's in personal finance. Now, maybe if I went super niche and I became like the guy who just focuses 
specifically on like Roth conversion ladders, for example. Um, and I just write about that. Then maybe I'll start to get more traction. People will come to my site specifically for that thing. But you know, the way I launched the site, it was just kind of really broad in the personal finance, financial independent space. And I was like, I, unless I put an ungodly amount of effort into this thing, I'm not going to start eking out and ranking like page ranking for above the competition. Um, so it, it just didn't make sense for me anymore. Whereas a podcast, I mean, all that matters is audience building. Like you're not, you're never, you're not really outranking people on a podcast. Of course you're outranking someone subscribes to you rather than another show, but it's not like if you're not on the first page of Google that you're never going to make ad revenue or you're never going to make affiliate revenue from this product or this post that you created. So that was kind of from the money side, just the ideological. I was like, you know what? I don't want to put this much effort into building these awesome posts and making these custom lead magnets on my blog to like get people to sign up for my email list. It was just like, it seemed like so much work for not as much return as I could get in other places. Okay, cool. Yeah, that, that makes, that makes complete sense. Um, I guess, I guess now would be maybe a good, good time to, to ask this. Like, I feel like you've, you've tried a lot of different things, right? Like if somebody comes up and and they ask you, like, do you have any top recommendations? If someone's like, Oh, I want to start a side hustle. I don't know what my skills are, but like, what should I look at? (laughs) That is a great question. And I get asked that so much. Like all of my friends, dude, what side hustle should I start? What side hustle should I start? And like, think about, so if you don't want me to just give you an answer and I can do that as well. Think about the skill gaps that people with a lot of money have. So now you're thinking of corporations, people in their 50s, 60s, whatever. And you're like, okay, what don't know how to do? Well, they don't know how to do social media very well. And no offense to any 50, 60 people in that cohort listening, but you have all the money right now in, in today's uh, society. And you probably do, aren't very experienced on like ad platforms or just like things to do with new technology or building websites, things like that. If you can build skills that fill the skill gaps of people with money that have successful companies, the money is there for you waiting for you to take it. That's what I tell everyone. So like, there's so many answers in that. It's, you know, learn how to run Facebook ads, learn how to run Pinterest ads, learn how Google ads work, learn how to run social media, learn how to use social media automation tools to run social media for companies, learn how to build websites, like learn how to do SEO optimization for websites. Because, you know, if if there's an established business and they don't know how to do something on the tech side that can just make their life so much easier or make them so much more money that they're, that's literally just begging for you to kind of fill that skill gap and take the money from them. And, you know, it's not like a, it's a, not a zero sum game either. So let's say there's a super, I don't know, a super successful electrician. He's probably terrible at websites and sorry to any electricians listening, but he's probably not good at websites, probably not good at, you know, SEO or ads or anything like that. If you can bring this guy or this girl in more clients every month, or you can increase their conversion rate, you're bringing in more money from them. They're paying you however many dollars per month for doing this service or like running their social media, whatever the thing might be. So it's a win-win for everybody. So that's what I tell anyone when they're thinking of starting a side hustle, like find those gaps where people have money, but they don't have the skills and you can learn the skills because you have the time and you have the energy. So final answer. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, man. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a great way to, th- to think about it for sure. Um, you met, so you mentioned real estate is, is getting into the, the real estate game. Is that a relatively new kind of addition to your like portfolio? Yeah. So the reason, honestly, I got into it and this is kind of going back to the podcast, like I'd interview someone who's in their twenties or, you know, James and Emily, they're a couple, they were 27 and 28. My friend, Sonny, who's 30 or 31, um, 
just so many people on the podcast. They're all retired and they're like late twenties <laughs> or early thirties. And I'm like, and they're all real estate. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like I'm trying all these other cool side hustles and people are like, oh yeah, good job, Cody. But these people are retiring when they're 27 or 28 with like 50 or 60 grand in passive income. And I'm like, I need to try this real estate thing. Um, so my first acquisition actually was September of 2020. My girlfriend and I bought a three family down in central Connecticut and for those who are interested in the numbers, I'm sure we have entrepreneurs and people listening. Uh, we bought it for 235K and it brings in three grand a month in revenue. So like after mortgage, property taxes, insurance, that it's like that, those are like 1300 a month, it's like 1700 a month. And obviously there's leaving some margin for repairs and random other expenses, but solid cash flow and little property there. Like that, that, that was a kind of our first foray. A uh, couple of months later, ended up buying a duplex 0.2 miles down the road from that first one numbers on that one. We bought it for 170, put some work into it about 20 grand of rehab. So like all in for 190 and uh, net cash flow, or I guess, sorry, gross revenue on that is 2250 a month. So that's another one where like the mortgage property taxes insurance, like a thousand, a little bit more than a thousand, um, probably like 1100. And then, yeah, so we're looking at like 11 or 1200, so like, as you can see, you know, just kind of people who are following along doing the math here from buying these assets, like now I'm building 1100, 1700 recurring revenue for essentially the rest of my life. Like real estate is crazy. Um, and I guess that that's kind of the power of real estate and why, why all these people that I had on the podcast are retiring at such insanely young ages. And so I, I knew I needed to get in that train. Um, I've actually just put a couple offers in this past week. I don't, one of them didn't get accepted. We're still waiting to hear back from one of them. Um, and the house we're living in now is kind of a strange little house hack. So we bought this in December of 2020. And basically it's a, uh, there's a detached one bed, one bath. And next to us, literally like 50 feet over, there's an office space attached to a four bedroom apartment. Um, so we have the apartment rented out. We're still working on getting the office space rented out, but like the apartment brings in two grand a month our mortgage property taxes insurance is like 1500. So even while we're living here, it's like we're making 500 bucks a month without an office tenant. So man, real estate is nuts. And I'm definitely going to be doing more of it while I'm doing all this other stuff, but <laughs> it's fun. But you know, word to the wise, it can destroy you. I've heard of people just getting absolutely screwed, buying the wrong property, not doing their due diligence, finding the wrong tenants, whatever the thing might be that crumbles your real estate empire. But it can be a really useful tool on your path to financial independence for sure. Yeah, that's wild, man. You're like essentially living for free just off that one property and then making an extra $500 a month. Yeah, I I was definitely more, I mean, I've always kind of been more of the like 4% financial independence, like more in that camp, maybe just because, I don't know, it was easier and, and real estate always seemed like super big and scary. So I never got into it, but definitely the cash flow aspect of it has really, really interested me. Um, I've definitely been really curious in, in maybe looking into like a, like a lifestyle asset, like getting a place to do like Airbnb short-term rentals on. Cause then I could kind of, you know, kind of have both benefits, right? Like I'd be able to make a little money on the side, renting it out short term. But then, you know, if it was say like, you know, vacation property or something else. Like I could use it part of the year just for, for personal enjoyment. I think I heard you talk on, on another show about that. Have you looked into like Airbnbs or short-term rentals at all? 
we've looked into it. We haven't pulled the trigger yet. And honestly, the biggest reason is just management. Like right now I have the plumbers, the electricians, I have every single person in place. So it gets super easy for me to manage the property. And people are like, you know, they're about an hour away. The ones in Connecticut from us that besides the one we're living in, obviously. Um, but people are like, Oh, how do you manage the property? It's like, well, if a pipe bursts, I'm not going to fix it. Like I just call the plumber. <laughs> like even if I was next door, I'd call the plumber. Like there's not really a difference of once you set up the systems, they're pretty easy to manage. Um, but with an Airbnb, it's just like so much more hands-on. Like, mm. you know, that's kind of a freak thing with the pipes burst, but like you got to be on your cleaning person every day or every time that, you know, your Airbnb people turn over. It's just like, if we were, maybe if there was one closer to us, but like, we just don't know anyone in that area that does Airbnb and we did look into it. Um, but one thing I was seriously considering is we go skiing all the time. Me and my girlfriend, Lauren, those properties print money during the winter. It's nuts. <laughs> oh, like yeah. you can buy a house for like 150, 200K up near a mountain and then rent it out for 200, $300 a night during ski season. It's like you, you have the potential to be making like, you know, four or five grand a month for a couple of months, which is just absolutely nuts. So I've looked into it, haven't pulled the trigger yet. I mean, it could be something down, down the pipeline, but I definitely need to find a solid company that I trust that could actually manage the Airbnb that I know is going to be clean and they're not going to be stealing stuff and ruining the place or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I talked to a, a realtor on a ski lift one time in, in Colorado, and she was telling me about short-term rentals up there in the mountains and just how much money you can make. I was just like crazy, dude. It's literally insane. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned, you mentioned you can get burnt, right? If you don't do your due diligence, you get involved in like the wrong property. What were some of those like tools or resources that you, that you use to kind of prepare for, for buying that first property? So honestly, the first property we almost bought would have been a disaster. Like the, (laughs) the agent lied, said there was no active knob and tube wiring. The whole house was knob and tube. It was just like really crappily done electric. There was other problems with the house too. Like (laughs) when the inspector went to turn the faucet in the shower, it fell off. <laughs> but like we, you know, we weren't touching it when we were walking through the bill. Like that's just kind of weird if you're on your first tour and you're just t- turning the shower on. Um, but in terms of tools, like I'll just kind of walk through my full process real quick. So get a realtor first. So literally every day I have like parameters set. It'll be like in this zip, you can either set it by zip code or this region or this County. And for this price point and this type of house. So I have like, you know, multifamily between these prices, that is, you know, I, I can set my parameters. So every day, whenever a new property comes onto the MLS, I get an automated email from my realtor. Now, my next step is, okay, I, I see a product. I see a property I really like. Look in. Uh, the first thing I do is look at the numbers. Like, you know, what is this? What's the price point? What can I get for rents in this area? You might literally, you can literally use tools like rent.com or apartments.com. See what comparable places are renting for in the area. Um, then after that, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll kind of do the most do the I guess, physical due diligence I can from behind my computer screen, but then go check the place out and you'll definitely get a better feel for it. Once you've walked through properties a couple of times, learn the right questions to ask, but you know, y'all, you want to ask the big stuff like, you know, how old is this boiler? Or when's the, like, when has the electric been replaced? When is the, when was the plumbing redone? You know, when is the roof last done? Like there's just, just questions that you want to ask as you're walking through a place and maybe checking to make sure, you know, what's, is this place separately metered? Like I, it better be if it's a three family, things like that. You'll, you'll just, you'll start to pick up. Obviously I, I can't rattle them all off and I'm sure there are people who can do that far better than I can, but we've learned, I mean, me and Lauren at this point have probably toured, I don't know, 30, 40 properties and wow. we only have 
three. <laughs> so we've, we've, we've definitely gotten a lot of practice under our belts. Um, I guess as you're, you know, going through the due diligence process and this isn't like a watch out thing, but don't be afraid to like negotiate too and like find weird, creative ways. I think that's the biggest thing kind of with entrepreneurship and real estate with anything, honestly, it's like, if you want to just take the direct path that everyone else is taking and do what everyone else is doing fine, but you're going to find far less opportunities. If you can be creative, like we paid, there was a family living in the place we're living in right now. And we, we ended up and the seller didn't want to get them out. And we just cash for keys them. We just gave them money to leave. And like, you know, it's kind of an unorthodox thing and maybe not other, other buyers wouldn't have thought of doing that, but it worked for us or like negotiating. We negotiated the price with that second duplex we bought. We ended up getting 15,000 off the sale price by identifying some things that needed to be done. So like with anything, just be as creative as you can. If you don't think you have the money for a down payment, you know, there are ways and there's websites and stuff, but you know, if there's someone, you know, or someone that could be potentially interested, make it interesting for them, make a profit sharing deal. Like, you know, maybe, maybe Eric, you don't have the money right now, but you know, your buddy has 50 grand for a down payment and you're going to offer him some kind of profit split from the income for the next five years or whatever the thing might be. But if you can start to like find creative ways to do financing, to get deals, to, you know, eke out the competition, that's where you're going to start succeeding. So I know it's not really uh, what to watch out for exactly. I'm, you know, I'm not a real estate master yet, but I'm, I'm trying, but that, those are kind of the things I've learned. And the, also, I guess another thing that's <laughs> been difficult with tax season is make sure you're structuring your stuff, right? So whether you're choosing to own your properties in an LLC, make sure you know the requirements for that. You can't go with a residential lender when you're getting a commercial loan, you know, make sure you're writing this, you're doing your taxes correctly. And if you have the property LLC, don't depreciate it to your own name. Like there's just all these weird little nuances that you need to get familiar with. But I mean, that's, that's down the road. You'll get familiar as you kind of go through the process and mess up like I did. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I had someone on the podcast a few weeks ago and he was saying, he was like, I learned more in my first year of just owning my primary residence than I did. in like, you know, first a couple of years of like doing research before that. So I feel like it's, it's probably like, like anything, right? Like the best way to learn is just to kind of, to dive in and, and do it. hundred percent. What, uh, you, you mentioned, uh, you made some mistakes. What, what, what were, what were those? Yeah. So we ended up buying the properties in my personal name because whole lending fiasco. So basically the lender was, had to change their rules and people have been listening to my story kind of following the timeline. I don't have like two years of solid income from one source. I'm making good money, but like it's all from all different places. It's like literally a scattershot of income. And so Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac had changed their regulations during COVID and said that like any income that's not, doesn't have two years of seasoning is ineligible to be counted. And so my income went from a lot to nothing. And the lender I was working with was like, sorry, like we can't do this deal. So I ended up having to go with a commercial lender, but I had already signed all the contracts in my personal name. So it was just like, going to be a hassle for me to close separately. Um, so own these properties, my personal name. Now tax season comes We're recording this in March, 2020. So we, we've been running all of the income and expenses through our LLC because we want to kind of build a financial record for that LLC. So ultimately down the road, we're going to buy properties using a solo 401k opened by that LLC so we can evade taxes on capital gains and rental income. Long story short, <laughs> but so now I, since the properties are owned by me and not in the LLC, we can't take legally take the depreciation into the LLC because it's owned by me. So we're working on getting that switched over 
from uh, the on the lender side it's going to cost probably a couple grand doing all the lawyer paperwork to switch all the loans to switch the property ownership into this llc whereas like if i did the right way or i guess i mean i didn't have too much of an option but i just i wasn't as informed i was as i would have liked to be so it's kind of just a nightmare now figuring things out after but like you know, all of this being said, I'm so glad I did it. Like I've, I've already yeah. learned so much, you know, even if it costs a couple grand for my mistakes, I just talked, I was just, you know, telling you my numbers and I'm, you know, I'll make that back in a couple of months just from getting these properties. So definitely don't regret it per se, but I wish I was a little more informed. And I mean, there's really no way to do that. Like I'm a guy who hosts a financial independent show. I've re- I've probably interviewed 20 plus real estate people, but like, it's just such a nuanced thing. Like you're not going to get every answer from random stories. (laughs) Right. There's yeah. There's some scenarios that are are just super specific and stuff. Yeah. 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 So yeah, those were, those were my mistakes this year, but I won't make them next year. I promise you that (laughs) (laughs) for sure. Yeah. As long as you're learning from them, then that's yeah. That's what you got to do. Cool, man. All right. I want to switch it up uh, a little bit here. We've, I feel like we've, we've covered a good, you know, good amount of, of your story. I had a few kind of just more random, random questions. I want to, from like, so we kind of talked about it with, you know, your side hustles in real estate, kind of from like a, like philosophical sense. I wanted to get your kind of thoughts on like having like a large nest egg, like 4% rule, like maybe a more traditional financial independence path versus like uh, a cash flow method. I think, did you, I think you coined that, that term, right? Of, <laughs> of cash flow phi. Can you kind of just, um, I mean, I'm sure we've, we've kind of touched on it throughout the conversation today, but just at, at like a high philosophical level, can you t- kind of talk about why you prefer that a little bit more? Yeah. Well, thank you for the credit. i I've noticed that some people have, you know, I think I was the first one to put that on the internet. I had to post about it, cash flow fi. You know, people nice. who have real estate are cash flow fi. They just didn't have a word for it, I guess. But I guess financial independence is the same way. Um, but basically, I mean, the reason why I didn't want to do that. So honestly, when I first got in, you know, I was in college and I was, I want to be like an investment banker. I want to make as much money as possible. I had already read about this five stuff. I told you I was 19. I discovered Tim Ferriss shortly after it was Mr. Money Mustache and that whole gang of financial independence heroes, um, <laughs> mad scientists, all the people with, you know, crazy superhero names. But I was like, okay, I made, I made a spreadsheet, my big spreadsheet nerd, as many people are in this community. And I was like, I can probably work for six or seven years, like based on what I'll be making first year out of college and based on my raises and my save, what I thought my savings rate was going to be. And I was like, I can be done in seven years. Like I, I can retire when I'm 29. That was my goal. And I mean, as we just talked about that, obviously that story didn't quite pan out, but that was kind of the 4% rule. That was the nest egg. Like I was, I was good. I was aiming for, I think 1.25 million. Um, just based on, you know, general rate of return, like 7%, I think I was expecting in my, my calculator. Um, but the reason why I didn't want to do it was just like, I, and of course there are people who do do like their jobs. I I mean, I just didn't like my job. I felt trapped. It wasn't worth the sacrifice to me. And Mm -hmm. I've debated with many people on this, actually doc G being one of them. Um, (laughs) and you know, a lot of people say, you know what, Cody, you're 29 and you're going to be retired. Like, just do it. Just grind out the seven years, like whatever your life's going to be miserable, but it's like, why? Like if I have another, if I have another option to not be miserable, to make comparable or more money, retire faster using this cash flow five method, why slog away in this corporate job that I absolutely hate to hit some nest egg number and then not know what I'm going to do. And of course, like that's a conundrum that a lot of people fall into when they are approaching five, they don't have a side hustle. They don't have hobbies. They don't know what they're going to do. And 
I mean, of, of course, sitting on a beach all day sounds awesome and glorious, but I'm sure most of us will get pretty bored after a couple of months of that. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the cash flow five is just so attractive to me because like I've been talking about this whole episode, like the Tim Ferriss, the muses, the side hustles, whether it's, it doesn't have to be real estate, it doesn't have to be a blog, doesn't have to be a course, but these things are producing residual income for me now every month where I don't, it's either, it doesn't have to be, you know, no effort whatsoever, but very little effort and getting reward from stuff that I did way long ago. So that's kind of, that's kind of the attraction for me is like, you know, you buy a, a property and even if you're making 500 bucks a month, like from one property, fine, you're not going to retire off 500 bucks a month, but you buy five more properties. Now you're looking at three grand a month, or, you know, you buy 10 properties. Now you're looking at six grand a month. Like it just keeps on compounding. And the more of those, I guess, sorry, in that scenario, you'd be making five grand a month. I just don't want people to think I'm bad at math, um, <laughs> <laughs> but every single asset you build, I mean, you build a blog that makes a hundred bucks a month. And it's like some blog that's ranking for a very niche keywords. Like I was talking about before, like you have the best blog for llama brushes. I totally <laughs> just made that up. Hopefully no one steals my idea, but like <laughs> something that niche, it's not going to make you a lot of money, but it's going to be a recurring income stream. If you, if you rank, or if you have some product or service that you really don't have to put forth any more effort because you've already built the system. You've already built the the thing to bring you money. All you need to do is just let it ride and tweak it every once in a while. So that's what's so attractive to me about Cashflowify. It's faster. I think it's more fun than just saving up as much money as I possibly can. And then just withdrawing because I don't think I'm ever going to stop working, honestly. Like I, I could just keep withdrawing using the 4% rule, but I'm, I'm going to keep grinding. Not to my detriment, but like at least just try new side hustles, even if it's a couple hours a week. Who knows? So that was gonna be that was that was gonna be my next question. I was gonna say, do you think you could ever see yourself like retiring in the traditional sense? I think I already know the answer to that, but like, what? Uh, I guess what are your thoughts on that? And then yeah, what is like the what does the future hold for you? Yeah, I don't think I'm ever going to retire in the traditional sense. I just have too many ideas, so not right. enough time. Like I'm always thinking of new ideas and I'm like, well, I'm not going to have time to actually make that thing successful. So I'll have to table that for now, along with the 500 other ideas that I've had. Um, I mean, I could definitely see myself working like five, 10 hours a week. No problem. Like that would be fun, like a couple hours a day, but just like having something to work toward a bigger goal. Like I'm, I'm a very goal oriented person. Um even if it's just taking little small steps and to ultimately achieve something awesome at the end. Um, but for the future, I mean, honestly, man, I'm just taking things in stride. Like if a new opportunity presents itself, I can make the bandwidth for it. Like I know a lot of people, that's an excuse that like, I don't have the time for this. Hot hustle. I don't have the time for this, whatever. If something is important enough, like you're going to make the bandwidth for it. If you have a heart attack, you're going to make it to the hospital because that is going to take up all your bandwidth. Cause that's the most important thing in your life right now, staying alive. So obviously it's a prioritization thing, but yeah, if something else new comes up, like I'm, you know, I'm a little cramped for time right now, but I might push something to the side or at least, you know, strength that band and add some more bandwidth. So I honestly have no idea what I'm going to be doing in three, five, 10 years. Uh, real estate is definitely going to be part of the equation. New side hustles, existing side hustles. I don't know. <laughs> I guess we'll have to check in. For sure, man. Yeah. It'll be cool to, to follow your journey and, and see, see where you're at with everything. Um, so a little bit different, uh, I kind of mentioned it before we started recording. I've been trying to talk about this a little bit more on, on the show recently. I think this is, uh, I think this has been some, some like really good insights in kind of how people are able to be successful. So I wanted to kind of talk to you about like some of your daily habits. What are some things that you do, you know, 
either consistently day to day or on a consistent, maybe weekly or monthly basis uh, that you feel have, have helped you be successful? To-do lists are huge for me. Like I used to be a guy who just kind of put everything in my head and hope that I did it and hope that it got done. I'm like, you know, what? I'll, you know, I'll remember to do that. No, that's <laughs> nobody works <laughs> no. like that. You're going to be so much more effective using some kind of to-do list. I personally like using Asana. I use that in uh, two of my businesses now, but yeah, that has been a lifesaver. Even just reminders on my phone. Like I don't remember stuff or I don't remember to do stuff unless I set up reminders. So that's kind of like a day-to-day, like make sure I get this thing done. Also, another strategy I use is time blocking. And so I'll literally put my phone on like airplane mode and just like grind something out for two hours. Like this is my time to do this. I won't answer calls. I won't answer emails, whatever. I'll just do that task, whatever the thing that I assigned for myself in Asana, like no excuses whatsoever. Um, in terms of bigger picture, and this is something that I've had to work on because I used to, and this is kind of like back when I started like blogging and podcasting, get so caught up in the minutia. Like I would Mm. spend four hours editing a 45 minute podcast. I would spend so many hours like optimizing the widgets and the plugins of my blog and like going through and trying to, you know, it was just ridiculous. Like one time I spent like two hours trying to adjust the header on my about me page <laughs> on Flatify. And it's like, that is the biggest waste of time ever. Like I could have built a friggin' service or product <laughs> in that amount of time. Um, so I've tried to, I've, I've learned to take a step back, look at the bigger picture, like directionally is this project that I'm working on right now? How is this helping me? What's the end goal? Is it going to make me money? Is it going to get me fulfillment? Whatever that thing might be for you. But, you know, take a step back and see if the little things you're taking, because, you know, if you're just in the day to day every single day and never taking a step back and saying, huh, you know, this thing I spend doing 20 hours a week actually isn't doing anything for my business. And that's kind of the harsh realization I had. Grant was actually someone who opened my eyes to kind of bigger picture thinking, but I do that now every couple of weeks and I'll just like step back, see the things I'm working on. Is this actually moving forward, moving me forward in this business or that business? And then if it's not reassess, I've learned, I've definitely gotten better at dropping things, quitting things, especially with the course. I mean, those that hurt, that sucked, but it was, it was for the best. So that's another thing. Um, also just building systems. And so what I mean by that, and this is, I'll kind of tie this into outsourcing as well. If you have a system, and I'm sure a lot of you have systems for doing things, like whether it's at your day job or in your business, like, you know, you what's use a blog post, you write the blog post, then, you know, you write the meta description, you add the featured image, like you, you do the linking, you add ID tags, whatever that you're doing to your blog post, then you, you post it, you do a certain sequential order of like social media that you're posting it on, whatever. And this might just be in a thing that's in your head. Like you might not have an actual system for this, but my, my number one piece of advice is just systematize everything you're doing write out those steps because later on, once this blog starts to get successful, once whatever you're doing starts to get successful, you can start hiring it out and outsourcing. And that's what I've started doing lately. Actually, I've had people who have been helping me with Pinterest because I hate doing Pinterest, but I was spending hours on it for the printables course and for my blog. So I've hired someone who helped me with Pinterest. I showed her my exact strategy, like how I'm using each board for what. Same with some Etsy stuff. I've been helping, I've been having people help me create Etsy printables because, you know, there's some programs or some design skills that I might've lacked that someone has, someone can do better than me. I build out the full sequence for them to follow. Boom. And it works. So building systems has been such a huge time saver, not only just like keeping myself organized, but outsourcing and showing other people exactly what I'm doing, say, Hey, do this. And now there's no, you know, there's no back and forth with them wondering if they did it right. So 
those are definitely some things that have helped like immensely in my businesses. I like those. Yeah. I really like the high level thinking. Yeah. Sometimes you can get so just, yeah. So down in the weeds, like spending time on, on stuff. And then you take a step back and you're like, gosh, I'm getting like not that much benefit from this. Like I need to reevaluate what I'm, what I'm doing here. Yeah. Definitely love the systems. I think that's huge. What about in terms of like more, I guess, lifestyle related habits? Like I know you're big into, uh, working out, right? Any, any other ones that, that come to mind? I mean, I'll just kind of walk you through a day. I mean, I'm definitely big into yeah. working out. So every morning, the first thing my girlfriend Lauren and I do is we go to the gym. Like every single morning, we wake up usually around 640 and then we go to the gym and we'll leave at like 815, come back home. So we get a good workout in that morning. Um, I'm, I'm at a standing desk right now, so I'm I'm not too stationary. And, you know, we'll go for a walk in the afternoon. We'll, uh, we'll have a protein shake at 10 a.m. We'll make our lunch at like noonish. So I do a little bit of intermittent fasting. I usually try to do like a, a 16, eight. Um, then we actually do a second work. Uh, well, during the day, actually I'm doing workouts. So I have this little whiteboard. You can't see it. And for those who are listening, obviously you can't see it, but right outside the room here, and you can see the pull-up bar behind me, Eric, uh, but I have a little whiteboard and every day I try to hit my pull-up, my push-up, and my abs goal. And so like every time I walk by that thing, you know, if, if it's like empty or there's not enough on there, it's just like, you know, a little punch in the stomach, Cody, go do some, do a little workout. And so like, I, I'll literally walk 10 feet over, get a little workout in, and I just feel so much better. Like if you're having a crappy day on the computer, there's nothing better than ripping out some pull-ups and push-ups and doing some ab work, even if it's for two minutes, like you just, it, it, it gives you that release. So I love doing that. We do another workout later on in the day. Um, and then I guess at nighttime depends on the night, but a lot of times, I mean, I'll end up working late, especially in 2020, um, editing podcasts, working on millennial money was actually another side hustle that I working on the grant site. The guy went to the bookstore with, that was another side hustle I picked up this year. Um, so yeah, it's kind of just catching up on the stuff that I didn't get to do, but like during the whole day, you know, I'm, I'm going outside, I'm going on walks. I'm trying to stay as active as possible while I'm because for most of the day, unfortunately, I'm behind a computer screen. Not sure that's <laughs> going to be the long-term goal, but for now, and while travel shut down, I know that's that's going to be a part of my plans in the future as well. Even though I guess I didn't know what I was going to be doing in three to five years, but definitely some traveling in there. So hopefully, that was kind of a long roundabout answer of some of the habits that I do. But most of my habits are around working out and working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask you about the travel. I can't believe I haven't got to that yet. But I guess first, before. The travel question yeah. in terms of the, what is your, like, um, I guess two, two questions together. What does like your typical workout routine, like look like during the week? Do you do like body part splits or do you do like everything together multiple times a week? And then have you ever thought about like having any sort of like business or side hustle related to that? Or is it more of like a passion thing and you don't want to go there? Of course I have. <laughs> That's one of the re- one of the things I was like, I need to make this course, and I was like, you know, what? I don't have the bandwidth for that. <laughs> it's just like I don't I don't have the time or the bandwidth for that. Um, in terms of like splits, though, now I, I'm kind of back to the bro splits. I used to do um, <laughs> six days a week where I do so I do chest and tries Monday, back and buys Tuesday, shoulders and legs Wednesday, and then I do like a not really a rest day, I guess. I guess I had a cardio day. So I guess it was seven days a week. This was when I was like really hardcore about it. And I go to the gym for like two hours every day. Um, and then I did those same splits, but like I do one day, one light day and one heavy day. Now I'm usually like five, sometimes six days a week if I'm lucky, but it'll be like sometimes push pull 
And then sometimes I'll do like, instead of put a push pull week where I'm just, where I'm just doing my splits are based on push pull uh, exercises. I'll do, you know, back and buys, chest and tries, legs by themselves, shoulders, traps, abs on the fourth day, then kind of like full body. And then miscellaneous if I happen to wander in on Saturday, <laughs> but, and I, I, I definitely stick in some cardio too. Like every time I get to the gym, the, my first like 15 minutes is cardio. Nice. Okay. Pretty hardcore. Is usually I'll run like a mile and a half or two miles. Yeah, I've I've switched. Um, wait, I'm 31 now. Like I've switched my kind of routine up. I mean, I've been same thing. Like I've been really into lifting weights for a while. I think I started when I was like 13 years old, um, and I've switched it up. Like definitely after college, <laughs> I was not in too good a shape. I would just like lift on my own. And then I did CrossFit for a couple years. Like I really liked that. I helped like that helped me get kind of back into good shape. But then recently, like I feel like, I feel like I do better doing kind of bro splits. Like I'll do shoulders and arms. I'll do chest and back one day. And then I'll do like legs, um, on a separate day. And then the other days I'll just run or do like hit or something. And I honestly feel like I am in better physical shape if I do that versus like doing CrossFit or just random like group classes throughout the week. I feel like it doesn't hit like, I don't know, it doesn't hit each body part enough or it's just like too much. There's not enough structure that I don't see as much progress, but that's just my personal feedback i feel you man it, it just depends what you want to look like like if you want to be like shredded but not really muscly like go run eight miles a day but, like, if you <laughs> want to have some like if you want to have some build to you you got to kind of do some splits and like work specific muscle groups in my opinion i mean there are huge guys that do like full body crossfit stuff every day but it's less common than you see like a bodybuilder at the gym who's you know hitting specific exercises and specific body parts each day for sure yeah, I could I could talk about working out for a while, but don't want to spend don't want to spend too much time Except on it. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess last thing I have for you, yeah. So so travel, right? Like you you work from you work for yourself, your location independent. Like, have you thought? I know you lived in Australia for six months. Have you considered like doing the digital nomad lifestyle? On, I mean, obviously, you know, maybe post post COVID, right? But like, have you considered doing more of kind of a traveling around type of, of lifestyle sometime in the future? Definitely. Yeah. We were honestly, Lauren and I, we were, we had trips planned for 2020. Like we were going to go to Cyprus and visit actually that couple, James and Emily, I talked about mm-hmm. for a couple weeks. We we're going to go to Europe for a couple more weeks. Like it was going to be like, you know, full time traveling around the entire year, just because we do have a pretty solid friend group at home. Like I'm still friends with a bunch of my high school friends and college friends. And it's fun traveling. Like I loved going to Australia for six months, but I definitely missed home. Like I was like, I miss hanging out with my friends and you can make new friends anywhere, but it's just, it's just different. Like having those, having those friends that you've been friends with for 10 or 15 years that you have those stories you can laugh about rather than the person you met at the bar that you've been going on fun adventures with. It's, it's a little bit different of a friendship, um, but that's definitely in the plans for the future. I mean, whether it's six months or even a year kind of stationary somewhere, but somewhere abroad, I don't think we'd do like the you know, move every two weeks or three weeks type of thing, like the hardcore digital nomad. But I could totally see us going to Australia or Southeast Asia for some extended period of time for sure. Awesome, man. Yeah, I love it. I think I've kind of changed my views on it as well. I would love to do in the future more, more of a hybrid model. Like I think I have a good like same thing, kind of family, good friend community like in Austin. I'd want to spend, you know, good portion of the year here. Have, because there's, there's, 
are significant benefits to living a, a stationary lifestyle. I would say the the community piece probably being the, the biggest one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest of the year, you still get all the amazing benefits of travel and seeing cool places, geographic arbitrage, just, you know, experiencing different foods and cultures and yeah, all the, all the benefits of travel. I think uh, a hybrid model, you kind of get the best of both worlds. Love it. That is my approach as well, man. <laughs> Awesome. All right, Cody, this has been a lot of fun, man. I really appreciate you being on the show. If people want to connect with you, they want to learn more, where are some of the best places to find you at online? Well, if people are listening, so they clearly like podcasts, so definitely check out my podcast, The Fi Show. And honestly, you can probably just hit me up on the contact form there. I'm super responsive. You can find me at social media, Cody D. Berman on Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, I'm I'm definitely happy to connect with anyone who's in this community. I love meeting new people, as you've heard from this podcast. And seeing what opportunities lie ahead for me and, you know, seeing how I can help other people out and making something happen. Awesome. I love it. Cool. Cody, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Eric. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Nomad on Fire podcast. If you like the show, if you could do us a huge favor and please subscribe on whatever platform that you're using to listen to this. If you could also leave a five-star review, that would really help us out and allow the show to be available to more people. See you next time on the Nomad on Fire podcast.